If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the August 18th edition of I Am, Are You? The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Chris Wilson. I'm Wendell Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. You know, as I you first debuted on KPFK back on August 20th in 1974, this week is our official 40th birthday of the show. So on tonight's show, we'll jump back to the 1970s for a look at the origins of IMRU Radio. Encore IMRU's 1978 interview with Harvey Milk. And then we'll return to the present and talk live in studio with comedian Dana Eagle. And now the national and international news. No, wait, not so fast. Since we're being nostalgic tonight, Chris Wilson is here, my buddy Chris Wilson. I want to celebrate this occasion with a taste, just a taste, of one of the best news duos in IMRU history. This is from back in 1998. Whoa. National Freedom to Marry Day celebrated locally and around the country. Local gay activist Morris Kite announces plans for his memorabilia. Republican state senator proposes anti-gay ballot measure. All these stories and more are making headlines in the lesbian and gay communities of Southern California and around the West for the week ending February 15, 1998. Good evening. I'm Steve Pride. And I'm Chris Wilson. God, we sounded so very young. Oh, we did, we did. And we haven't aged a bit, I don't understand. Such sparkle, such verve. And that was a live newscast. We did a live newscast every week. And I was amazed when I dubbed it this week. There were no mistakes. We were just that good. There were were never mistakes, Steve. Anyway, now let's do the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Michael LeBeau. And I'm Sarah Sweeney. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending August 16, 2014. There have been unusual setbacks for LGBT rights in the United States after more than 30 consecutive rulings by state and federal courts in favor of marriage equality since last year's landmark Supreme Court Windsor ruling, Roan County Circuit Judge Russell E. Simmons Jr. ruled on August 5th that Tennessee's ban on performing or recognizing the civil marriages of same-gender couples does not violate the state constitution and denied the divorce request of two Tennessee men who married in Iowa four years ago. 
Like other judges who've arrived at decisions favoring marriage equality, Simmons recognized marriage as a fundamental right. But he decided that neither the Tennessee Supreme Court nor the United States Supreme Court has ever decided that this fundamental right under a state's law extends beyond the traditional definition of marriage as a union between one man and one woman. Simmons also accepted the claim by Tennessee officials that the state has a rational basis to deny civil marriage to same-gender couples to encourage responsible procreation. That argument had until now been rejected by every other court in the U.S. when it was made in a marriage equality case. Virtually everyone agrees that the final word on civil marriage for same-gender couples will need to come from the U.S. Supreme Court. And voters in the city of Chattanooga, Tennessee, have also reminded LGBT activists that the battle for equality is far from over. An ordinance passed by the city council last year to offer health care benefits to the same gender partners of coupled gay and lesbian city workers was repealed on August 5th. And it wasn't even close. 8,184 voted to keep the ordinance, but 13,685 voted to repeal it. A local Tea Party group and a conservative political action committee had collected signatures to overturn the ordinance, claiming that the city couldn't afford the extra costs. In Louisiana, a metro council in the city of Baton Rouge rejected a proposed law this week that would have banned discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. The East Baton Rouge Parish Metro Council defeated the Fairness Ordinance in an 8-4 vote. One council member told the local advocate newspaper that bias against LGBT people doesn't rise to the level of discrimination experienced by other minority groups. Another said that other equally oppressed groups are not protected, including women, people living in poverty, people who have been convicted of felonies or who are living with HIV AIDS and overweight people. And in Texas, anti-equality activists are suing the city of Houston after their petition to overturn a bias-banning ordinance fell short of the required number of qualifying signatures. Houston's out-lesbian Mayor Anise Parker spearheaded passage of the ordinance and, along with the city, is a named defendant. A local radio news station reported late this week that Judge Robert Schaefer has scheduled a hearing on the case for January 19th. He also ordered that the statute not be enforced until after that trial. Nevertheless, the delay means that the ordinance cannot come before voters in November as its opponents had hoped. Meanwhile, yet another right-wing homophobe is warning of apocalyptic consequences if marriage equality continues to spread throughout the U.S. Seventh-day Adventist pastor Matt Stavers is the founder of the Far Right Liberty Council, a nonprofit law firm that claims to defend Christian religious liberty, the sanctity of human life, and the traditional family. Like several of his counterparts, Stavers seems fascinated by the alleged connection between homosexuality and Nazism. He told Radio America host Greg Corumbos this week that lawmakers who failed to fight marriage equality are comparable to those who remained silent during the Holocaust. This is not an issue in which you can remain silent any more than you can remain silent during Nazi Germany. That was a moral issue. It was not defined by geography. There was a moral imperative there of the dignity of the human being. You can't remain silent there and expect no consequences. Nor can you remain silent or advocate to the contrary with regards to the 
undermining of marriage as the union of a man and woman. If politicians want to advocate that, or they want to remain silent in the face of that, if they want to remain silent in the face of well-known religious hostility that will result, then there will be consequences to their political future. That was right-wing anti-LGBT zealot Matt Stavers. On the other hand... Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 2014 Gay Games and to the thousands of athletes, coaches, family, and spectators from around the world. Welcome to Ohio and the United States of America. U.S. President Barack Obama kicked off the Quadrennial Gay Games on August 9th with a video greeting. Thousands of athletes from more than 45 countries and from across the United States streamed into Cleveland's major sports stadium, known as the Q, for the colorful, as always, opening ceremonies. Lance Bass and the Pointer Sisters performed. Mr. Obama also acknowledged the international competitors who had made their way to the Cleveland-Akron area. I know some of you have come from places where it requires courage, even defiance, to come out, sometimes at great personal risk. You should know that the United States stands with you and for your human rights, just as our athletes stand with you on the field at these games. Spectators and participants alike during the opening ceremonies pointedly greeted the delegation from the Russian Federation with a standing ovation. That's News Wrap for the week ending August 16th, 2014. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap was written by Greg Gordon, recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles, and produced by Steve Pride. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Sarah Sweeney. And I'm Michael LeBeau. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap, on free podcasts and Stitcher Radio On Demand at thiswayout.org or on iTunes. Also on the program this week, the dog gets his day in a new documentary. And newly out Christian singer Beeching rocks the Bible in a lively debate. Rock, rock the Bible, rock, rock. Oh, oh <laughs> and um, to celebrate our 40th anniversary here at IMRU on KPFK, we have something that I'm going to call... IMRU History 101. I'm Harvey Milk. I'm a supervisor in San Francisco. And I'm Greg Gordon for IMRU. I'm and I'm gay. And so am I. <laughs> Since the dawn of creation, one eternal question has been asked down through the ages. A question which has been known to strike fear into the hearts and minds of decent people everywhere. A question so overwhelming in its challenge to human identity that some people have been driven to the brink of despair whenever such a question has been asked of them. Are you ready to accept the challenge? Do you dare to confront the question of the ages? I am... Are you? In 1974, KPFK, Tuesday nights at 11 was, as I recall, their sex hour. The first Tuesday of the month was Lesbian Sisters. The third Tuesday of the month was a program for gay men called Gay at Heart, hosted by a guy who went by the name of Morning Glory. His claim to fame, from what I understand, was that he had then L.A. County Supervisor Ed Edelman on the program during the oil crisis, and he asked Edelman if that was going to impact the availability of KY lubricant. Anyway, that probably would give you some idea of the nature of that program. Anyway, Morning Glory decided to leave town. He was moving to Georgia to be with his partner. KPFK went to the gay 
Community Services Center, which is what it was called at the time, near downtown L.A., put up flyers looking for a person or persons to take over for that third Tuesday of the month gay men's program time slot. I was uh, facilitating rap groups at the time, and a guy by the name of Enric Morello and Colin McQueen and I we volunteered basically to to come in, and our first program was in August of 1974. It was a live show, and I think the subject was myths about gay men. And it was open phones. And I remember driving to our first program, trying to figure out whether I was going to use my real name on the air or not. And keep in mind, this was August of 74. And I decided what the heck. And I did, and I had never had a better understanding of what the feeling of being liberated felt like until I was driving home from that broadcast because I felt so free. Um, we did our first production feature in February of 1975. The station had a theme of that month, which was romance. And so our program was Gay Romance, Some Alternatives for the 70s. And we divided it into monogamous relationships, open relationships, and being single, and the proponents for each of those. And we mixed with music, and it was had pre-recorded. Yeah, those were heydays, I guess. I've been at this for a long time. I... I shudder to think about that from time to time, but I've explained to people, like my brother, for example, expressed disappointment in me because he doesn't feel like I achieved the potential that I could have achieved with my life professionally. And I've tried to explain to him that I really, it may sound corny, but I've, I felt this is sort of a calling. Just turn your radio on. Turn your radio down. This is Helene Rosenbluth from Lesbian Sisters. And this is Greg Gordon from the Gay Radio Collective. Lesbian Sisters, providing programming specifically geared to lesbian women, airs on the first Tuesday of each month at 10 p.m. And the Gay Radio Collective presents IMRU on all other Tuesday nights at 10. Lesbian Sisters and IMRU will continue to bring you lively discussions, music, poetry, comedy sketches, and the news of the gay community. Now, Tuesday nights at 10 on listener-supported radio for all of Southern California, KPFK 90.7 FM. Please join us. I love the idea that this used to be a late-night event. I could just see everybody sitting around smoking and having a martini while they did the radio show. The gay sex hour. So all those <laughs> sex people were here. I know. And, and probably the 70s was the last time that rap facilitator was a legitimate job description. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I recall about those days, though, is they didn't want the kitties to be up, so we had to be on after 10. Right. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, yeah. The safe harbor law, which actually we ran into a, a bit of legal action over that in the 80s, I think. Oh. Our show actually was one of the people that ended up in the Supreme Court with the whole safe harbor argument. So a little bit of history right here. And speaking of which, we heard a little snippet of Greg's 1978 interview with Harvey Milk at the beginning of that story. Shall we hear some more? Yes. Absolutely. I think Yay. so. The statement that the Gay Day Parade is no more. 
No more will we be harassed. No more will we be staying in our closet. The people from all over the state and all the country, for them to see 100, 200, 300, 400,000 gay people and friends marching through the downtown area, this is our city too. They will go back to Des Moines, Iowa, to Richmond, Minnesota, to Santa Cruz. They will go back and say, my God, 300,000 gay people and their friends march. And you know, I almost think I saw my son there. I'm Harvey Milk. I'm a supervisor in San Francisco. And I'm Greg Gordon for I Am Are You. I'm, and I'm gay. Yeah. And so am I. And we're up in San Francisco in, uh, in Harvey's office at Castro Camera. And Harvey's graciously taken a few minutes out of his very busy schedule <laughs> to talk to us about politics in San Francisco and how he got elected, the first openly gay person to be elected to public office in California history. I like to also talk about the politics in California rather than San Francisco. That's fine. Uh, because I don't think there's a delineation. There's you don't think that there's a difference in, in politics in San Francisco as opposed to, let's say, politics in Los Angeles? It's a matter of degree. There's no moat built around the city of San Francisco that separates us from the rest. Sometimes we wish there were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think what takes place in San Francisco, uh, for whatever reasons, can take place any place. It's just a matter of understanding what it's all about. And, San Francisco, it's very interesting because of the fact that I'm gay, that becomes the big media event that sells the newspapers. But it's very important that uh, we realize that I was elected as a candidate who was gay, rather than a gay candidate. Did not run on a gay issue. Uh, in San Francisco, the difference from L.A. is that uh, we are both county supervisors and city council people, one and the same. Uh, the city is divided into 11 districts. And uh, since we are city and county, it's one powerful, very powerful legislative group. You have to picture if your L.A. City Council and your L.A. Board of Supervisors were one and the same, that's what we are. Uh, and we are an activist group rather than puppets of uh, the strong mayor or something like that. In the 11 districts that were up for election this past year, there were a total of something like 162 candidates altogether. Of the 162 candidates, uh, all the, there were 11, uh, not even 11, there were about 7 or 8 who were incumbents who ran. Uh, six, I guess. Xing those out because they have a record of voting on issues. Of all the other 150-some-odd people, I was probably the most issue-oriented person running. Probably had taken more strong, definitive stands, not yes, I'm for that, no, I'm not for that, but why, and, and been in the battles, than all the other candidates uh, running. Probably more issue-oriented than some of the supervisors who ran for re-election. And it's vital to know that it took five years or whatever it was to build up that kind of a reputation. Yes, yeah, because you had, you had run for office in the past. It had nothing to do with running for office. Was, the reason I ran for office because I was issue-oriented. Mm. You know, people say, oh, you ran for office, name recognition. No. In, in my particular district, we've had about five or six major district battles versus citywide problems. In every one, I was involved in them, on one side or the other. There wasn't one other candidate, there were 17 people running this district, there wasn't one other candidate who had been involved in every single district problem. I was there. People on the streets would say to me, Harvey, I don't agree with your issue, but I know you're a fighter, I know you're there, I know you will be there when we need you. They couldn't say that about any of the other candidates in this district or hardly in any other district. It sounds like Harvey Milk is uh, trying to send a message out right. to other gay or non-gay people who want to run for public office. Get involved. Build your base. Build your support. You can't just get out there and say, hey, I'm a nice guy and I'm going to vote right on all the issues. Uh, a lot of candidates I ran against would vote the same as I do, but they wouldn't be the activist. They wouldn't be the advocate. They wouldn't be the, the leader. 
I think that's what we're crying out for, up even to the federal government. Okay, you know? we, statewide, let's get together statewide. May 5th, I think it's May 5th or May 6th, Sunday. May 6th, I guess it is. Sunday, L.A., we're calling um, together a statewide caucus of gay people. And we're inviting all the candidates for statewide office, uh, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and I guess uh, secretary of state. It's nonpartisan? or Nonpartisan. Democrat, Republican, Peace and Freedom, American Independent. We want gay people from all over the state to come. We're going to say that you have 10, 15 minutes to present your case and then questioning. And we don't want to hear about dams. We don't want to hear about redwood trees. We want to hear about what you think on the gay issues, what you think about that. And then we will accept questions from the audience, filter them through a panel of gay newspaper people so that someone doesn't get up and do a 10-minute tirade. And I say, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like I do. Um, and they'll be asked questions. If Jerry Brown does not show up, that will be published. If he shows up, what he says will be published. There'll be no endorsements, but we will disseminate the information. It's a forum, basically. It's a forum. It's like the black community does. We must follow what the black community does. black community does this on a national level. All the candidates for Democratic primary for president met before the black leadership forum, or whatever it was called, in North Carolina, and talked about black issues. We must do the same thing in the gay community. We must move out of San Francisco, out of L.A., we must move to California. If you add the gay community with the other traditional minorities, we should have control of the state. But we cannot sit in the back of the bus and let the other minorities lead. We should show the leadership. In fact, we are in, a, in an incredible position. You see, Well, let me ask you, are, are other minorities <clears throat> coming around to realizing that they can and should work with the gay oh, community? Yeah. Lieutenant Governor Dimley has stuck his neck out for the gay community over and over again. When Willie Brown's sexual bill was before the thing, mm -hmm. he flew in from Denver to cast that vote mm -hmm. in front of the eyes of the world. Uh, so he stuck his neck out there, and he understands working together, and he understands the importance of gay people in there. But it's very interesting, take San Francisco, which is a very heavy minority city. Over 50% of the population is minority. Because of the fighting for those crumbs, uh, Sometimes the black community doesn't talk to the Chicano community, the Filipino won't talk to the Asians, the Asians won't talk to anybody, you know. That. Nevertheless, they all talk to me, the gay person. Partly for two reasons. One, because within the gay community, we have gay Asians, gay blacks, gay <laughs> you know, we are infiltrated. That's part of the reason. We cut across the line. Second of all, for whatever reasons, I'm, I'm the, the one that can pull it together. So we are trying very strongly to pull together that coalition. In view of that, we realized, uh, at least I have always realized, uh, is the voter registration. We are kicking off a massive voter registration drive with the Chinese and gay community together soon. Hmm. You know, there's many, many reasons for that. Working very tight with the Asian community, very tight. And if we can pull it off here, and if LA pulls it off, if we pull it off statewide, within 10 years, the minorities will be running the state. And when the minorities, I'm talking about the feminists, I'm talking about the gays included in that. And so we have to fight that, we have to fight with our natural allies. But it can't be just because a person is black or green or gay or orange or whatever it may be. They have to be issue-oriented. Cannot accept somebody to get up there, I'm gay, therefore vote for me. How do you motivate people to, to register? Because this is a fundamental problem that we've always had. Motivate them, say, do you like Ed Davis? Do you like Senator Briggs? Do you like Anita Bryan? You motivate them because it's, uh, you tell them that the legislators and the executive officers, be they the local supervisor, be they statewide, run your life. They run your life and they spend your money. And when they collect tax money from gay people and don't give us anything back in return, take it for their golf courses, take our tax money for their pet projects, and give us, and on top of it, insult us by not giving us our rights, 
That's, that's not motivation. If you like being harassed by the police, if you like being uh, a third-class citizen, if you like being beat up by pugs, if you like the church yelling at you, don't register, don't vote, but don't complain. If you want to shove, be shoved back in your closet, if you want to be the traditional gay person who gets beat up and whimpers home and say, well, I'm gay and I deserve to get beat up, fine. Otherwise, the only thing you can do is register to vote. Another reason that some people don't register or don't want to get involved in what they will call, quote, establishment politics is that they're just anti-establishment politics, period. You know, that the way to change the system is revolution, blah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What can you say to these people who don't want to get involved, who don't want to register, who feel like voting and the whole establishment political process is a waste of time and not the way to do it? Okay, the establishment political process stinks. I, too, would prefer to throw a bomb, except the establishment has more bombs than I have. So the option is something that I told, uh, oh, about four years ago. Three of gay socialists came in, who I know, and we had a nice long talk, and they talked about how bad the system was, and that the system has to be overthrown. Then we got talking about police brutality and harassment. And I said, after a while, what if you, you, and you were the three police commissioners, and I was the chief of police, and they said, great. I said, I thought the system stinks. It's not the system that stinks, it's the people who are running the system stinks. If everybody out there who thought the establishment and the system was rotten were running it, if the most radical liberal person, revolutionary person was the mayor of L.A., and the next one was the chief of police, and the next group of the city council, the next group of the board of supervisors, they would be able to change the system. You have two ways of changing the system. Revolution or getting in and bending it from within. Unfortunately, revolution will not work. I mean, it ain't gonna happen. As long as there's two cars in every garage and a drop of gasoline and a TV set and you can wash your, your glasses and not get spots on it, the revolution is not gonna exist because people are afraid of the unknown. And so they rather have the awful conditions that exist rather than the unknown. The revolution will not be televised. But rapid evolution can take place already on the board of San Francisco supervisors in six weeks. Things that were never discussed before have been discussed. The dialogue has been opened, which was never there before, and we won a lot of the votes. The very first major battle, it doesn't sound like a major battle, but it is a major battle, was the location of a Latino drug rehabilitation center in a white neighborhood. And the conservatives just won at it. And I battled them. I really battled them on it. And we won. We won the vote. A, that dialogue would never have taken under the old board. Seven weeks ago, that would never even come up for vote. And B, we want it. So what is revolution? You know, uh, what, It's not what I like to see. But we are going to have a rapid evolution. We've already had it in San Francisco. Just stop and think. The day the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco was sworn in, the tradition is every supervisor gets up and says a few general words and introduces their family there. And the first words out of my mouth, and, and, and the national press was there, was, as you know, I am gay. That has never been spoken before in any legislative body in this country. And I said that there's a state law that says gay people cannot legally be married, but there is no state law all or any place in the universe that says two people cannot love each other. And I like to introduce my lover. And if that's not a revolution... <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know what is. Sure, it's not what we want. But, you know, we're battling thousands of years of prejudice and thousands of years of a, a system. It's got to change. It's not going to be easy. I can only do it if I have a lot of support out there. Can't have a lot of support out there if people are not aiding financially and registering and voting. And there's got to be a lot more Harvey Milks. There's just got to be. There's too many young kids in little towns in Minnesota. Oh, it's like being in the 70s. And I don't mean the temperature or the age. I mean the <laughs> 1970s. I know. And I just refuse to believe that that music is that old. It just seems like practically yesterday. Well, this is only part one of a two-part series that we did with um, Harvey Milk back in 78, Greg Gordon. Uh, we'll have the part two in a few weeks when time suits. And it's fascinating to hear him because I, I must admit at the time I didn't know who he was till he was dead because I was living in Atlanta. And now you realize what a big part of history was, and now he's a stamp, and and here he was right on our show. And everything he says in the interview, part one and part two, mm-hmm. is still absolutely true today, mm-hmm. even more so. Yeah. And, of course, we can't fail to mention the lovely bell on the door of his camera studio when Greg was doing the interview because it just makes it so lifelike. So, and it'll never be there again because now it's an HRC gift shop. Oh, dear. <laughs> what is HRC? Well, still to come, another IMRU history lesson. This one from Miss Lucia Chappelle. And then we're going to return to the IMRU of today with comedian Dana Eagle live in studio. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Novelist Willa Cather coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. One of the premier literary artists of the early 20th century, Willa Cather was born in Virginia in 1873. For four years while in her teens, she dressed as her imaginary twin brother, William. She was freer to express her passion for women since romantic friendships had fallen out of favor. Shortly after entering the University of Nebraska, Cather discovered a love for writing. Beginning as a journalist, she became managing editor of McClure's Magazine. But in 1912, she broke away, chasing her dream as a novelist. Cather had a 40-year domestic life with editor Edith Lewis, but remained private about her sexuality. Shortly before her death, Cather destroyed all her personal papers, perhaps for fear of being exposed as a lesbian. But as she stipulated, she was buried alongside Edith Lewis. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Ruth Perkinson. Hello, I'm Armistead Maupin, author of Tales of the City. IMRU Radio Magazine has been the voice of the LGBT community in Southern California since 1974. And you can listen every Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 
99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Hi, I'm Mary Wilson, and I'm giving a shout-out to IMRU's 40th anniversary. Hey, happy birthday to you. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Steve Pride. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Chris Wilson, and the time now is 7.33. When IMRU started in 1974, it was a boys' club, but that soon changed thanks to one amazing woman. This is Lucia Chappelle for IMRU. I'm talking to Frank Zerilli, one of the organizers of this demonstration. Frank, how many people do you think are here? We have no idea, but it's larger than anything we've ever done in Los Angeles before, including the Christopher Street West Parade. It's unbelievable. I'm Lucia Chappelle, and I got involved with IMRU sometime early in 75. I was the first woman in the Gay Radio Collective. I was working at KPFK. I was on staff. And I was always running into the guys who were doing IMRU, and we'd chat. I was, switchboard was one of my jobs, so I would sit in the lobby, and they'd talk to me, and they kept badgering me about getting involved in the collective, and I kept going, oh. But um, I finally did it, and it wasn't so bad after all. (laughs) And what can I say? Uh, A world of memories and madness and gonzo queer journalism started then. Tell me about your work on IMRU. Some of my interviews that I remember doing, I remember um, Reverend Elder Frida Smith from Sacramento and the Reverend Jim Sammeyer from Los Angeles. Bob Sirico when he was the executive director at the center. Susan McGreevy several times, particularly on the Norton Sound case, the uh, lesbians who were discharged from the Navy. Oh, and the, the gay pride parades. My goodness, pride parades when you actually got chased by police at the end of the parade and the people with the microphones are all running behind the parade trying not to be caught by the police. Uh, and, and the gay days. I think the first gay day is probably one of my finest memories of all. It was remarkable. And I remember the phone calls. Again, I, when I wasn't on air, I was on the switchboard. And I remember this woman calling up who said, I just had to call today. She said, I'm 80 years old, and I'm a lesbian, and I've never told anyone that before, but I wanted to tell you that today. And she hung up. And I was just, like, sitting there at the switchboard. I didn't know. I I started to cry. I was just like, 
oh my God, oh my God. And then at the end of the day, when people started calling up and we opened the phones, I remember this one guy saying, KPFK has been the giver of light today. I just, I never knew. I never knew. I never knew. That's the kind of radio it was. It was hard, you know? It was no joke. It was no joke. We didn't have counseling services and a million organizations and all that. So, Steve, we would spend about an hour at the station after the show was over counseling people who called up. Yes, we were like suicide prevention counselors for an hour after the show because there was no hotline. Those things didn't exist yet. The center was just getting started. What story are you proudest of? The first March on Washington, 79. Because it wasn't just any one interview. It was a million different interviews. It was all the interviews leading up to it. Just all the madness that went on beforehand. Just the whole gestalt of that experience that was months long. The guys that did the gay show at the Washington Pacifica station, WPFW, Bill Bogan and his buddies pulled it together. Bill also had an NPR connection. So he got, um, oh gosh, what was that? Moira Rankin was one of our co-anchors. And he set up a whole cooperation with NPR to get the stuff on the air. And then we brought everybody that was doing LGBT shows from all the different stations around the country. We all crashed at Bill's house. <laughs> we were all sleeping on the floor and putting together this broadcast. I think maybe there were about 20 of us all together. Five or six people from KPFA, several from WBAI in New York, the whole gang from Washington, and we put it together. We put it together. And, of course, we had all been covering it, again, leading up to it and sharing our tapes when you had to send cassettes by mail to share tapes. Yes, indeed, we did. So it all grew. Now, that first year, we actually had a line, a phone line that went from the Capitol Mall into NPR to upload the stuff as it was happening. The second march on Washington, we didn't have that kind of connection. We were recording the march and sending somebody on a bicycle with the reel-to-reel tape to NPR to upload it. <laughs> but we did it. But we did it. Did you ever think that IMRU would be on the air for 40 years? <laughs> I didn't think I'd be around for 40 years. <laughs> We're everywhere, part of everything. In every time, come and make our world your home. Don't be alone. If you're down, feeling blue, tell you what to do. Just reach out and Lucy Chappelle, what a great lady. Oh my gosh, I love that theme song. I've never heard it. It sounds like a soft drink ad. I've always loved that theme song, and it was such a pleasure to hear it again. That was so upbeat and, and perky. I have to make mention that Lucy Chappelle and Greg Gordon are the producers now of This Way Out, which is the international LGBT radio show. It's on over 200 stations in nine countries now. Thank you for bringing that up, Steve. I want to say it because I produce the news. Learn something every day, don't you, Wendell? Yes, we do. And I learned what um, HRC means.
<laughs> yeah, we we gave him a little lesson while we were. I know. I just I thought, why the stunned disbelief? I was just asking a question. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's kind of weird to go to that historic site, the yeah. camera shop, yeah. and find out it's kind of a tacky gift shop. Well, if you'd said it was the equal sign people, I'd known who you yeah, were talking about. Yeah, you can buy equal sign T-shirts and hats and and cufflinks yeah. and all sorts oh of fun stuff. Okay, I this is enough about memory lane. Let's bring it back to the present because Yay. I have a very, very special in studio guest. Who wasn't born back then? No, no, she wasn't. No, she that's was that's not. very true. <laughs> and uh, her name is Dana Eagle. And I want to tell a little quick story about how I found out about Dana Eagle. You know, I love comedy, but I've kind of stopped watching it because on TV, you don't know what you're going to get. And I hear a lot of stuff that's not funny. And so, but my spouse has still maintained her interest in comedy and doesn't, you know, get, I guess she puts that behind her and just doesn't listen to it. So I'm walking through the living room and I'm listening to Last Comic Standing and I hear this. People in LA are pretty great, they are. Except they, they always want me to give them money for a cause, and I'm like, I'm a gay bipolar Jew with a lazy eye. I am, yeah, I am the cause. So naturally, I hear that and think, wow, that's different. And then, of course, I heard the rest of it, and I thought, we have got to have Dana Eagle here on IMRU. And tonight, we do welcome Dana. Thank you. So happy to have you here with us, because that actually did grab my attention. Um, So what in the world made you get into comedy and be able to be out there so vulnerable with who you are? in front of people who might either laugh or might throw tomatoes. Oh, okay. Well, two different questions. <laughs> okay. How I got into it was I got kicked out of musical theater. That was basically how I got in. They were like, eh, you can't sing. You're annoying to be on a bus with. Uh, and so then I went to stand-up. And then how I'm able to be out there and so vulnerable is when I first started stand-up and then I was traveling, I would do some jokes about um, growing up Jewish and people would come up to me afterwards and they'd say, oh, are you are you really Jewish? And I thought that was so weird. Like, who would who would pretend to be Jewish? And (laughs) so then when I started doing the bipolar material, I thought, well, nobody really knows. You know, they don't. uh, But that's how I got myself. And that's kind of how I always start with material where I'm like, I don't really I basically start by by assuming nobody's listening. And uh, and then that's gotten through, and then at some point I realize people are, and then I'll have like a small little meltdown, and then I'm here on the radio, and that's how that goes. What inspires what you talk about in your show? Um, I guess I mean, I guess it's changed over time, but I guess more like the not fitting in. You know, it's that thing of like you don't fit in, so you have time to sit back and like see what's going on with everyone else, and see all the reasons why you don't fit in, and. Yeah, but then you find out that more people don't fit in than actually fit in anyway, right? Um, I was just wondering, because I love to ask this of comics, um, you have such a distinctive voice, but how long did it take for you to find that? Um, I get, I mean, I don't I don't know, because it's weird, because people say that, but I still don't, this takes a long time. This takes, I mean, only recently in stand-up, or do they, you know, like, I guess, do they pluck, like, the, the youngins? But it used to be, like, you had to be in your late 30s, early 40s to pop, because this really takes a very long time, and I still go through, like, when people say that to me, like, you have a voice, I'm like, oh, I do? What is it? What's my point of view? <laughs> so you have been doing this for a while, I've then. been doing it for a while. Wow. Yeah. Why? Why do you do this? Why do you do 
What's been inside to my of you? Mom? <laughs> um, I think because I, I feel like I still haven't conquered it yet. It still is really, it still feels like a challenge to me. So it's, uh, so I guess that's why. And and then also, once you do stand up for a while, like you're no longer fit to be with other people anymore. <laughs> like I can't, like I'll go out on dates or something, and I'm like, oh, I can't. I can't just say what's on my mind. I, I have to think about appropriateness and being PC and, you know, so I'm no longer fit to be around. They don't have a training center for when you're ready to exit stand-up. On the other hand, does everybody expect that you're always going to be funny all of the time? Do you get that? That does happen, but that's, you know, not with the inside circle. The inside circle knows, and yeah, that does happen sometimes, but uh, I try and... I let them know very quickly by not being funny. So how by did being you... tragic. Oh, of course. And talking about politics. Oh. <laughs> so how did you end up on Last Comic Standing? How did that break happen for I you? I have no idea how that happened. I think um, they didn't know me because the producers of it were are comedians. It's Petro, it's Wanda. And so, like, they've been around. And, uh, and then this year what they decided to do was instead of going around the country and having people wait on lines and stuff, they decided they were going to just start with comedians. So they started with 100 comedians. And so uh, I did have to do a, a private audition first. That sounds dirty, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> That's what they what all say, Dana. Yeah. <laughs> so I did have to do that. So, so yeah. So then I then I got it, and then I I I've been then that. So now we know how I do everything. I do everything by thinking it doesn't matter or it's not going to really happen. And then when it does, I melt down, and I did. And then when they called and they said like they want to use you for it, and I was like, I can't tell my agent and manager no because. They're going to be like, why? What else are you doing? And so I just, you know, cried. And then I got over it and then I did it. And it was great. <laughs> well, I want to I want to play for our audience a little bit of your big controversial moment on yeah. Last Comic Standing. This year I lost a few friends to uh, babies. Very, very debilitating disease. Suffer from exhaustion. My question is why? Why do we congratulate people when they have kids? Shouldn't we wait and see how they turn out first? Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, because I like a lot of my friends' kids. I do. I like a lot of them. But then there's always those one or two where you're like, that one should have been a Hummer. So um, I take it that wasn't your first choice of word to use, and I understand that that was beeped out in some places, so it was should have been a beep. It should have been a beep. Yeah, and then people filled it in themselves with it, with the word aborted, and I that's not what I said. I didn't say aborted, but oh. I uh, and people and I and I should just say this: like I feel like on behalf of the comics, because I know a lot of people watch, and they'll be like oh, that person wasn't funnier. Like, people don't realize what we have to go through in terms of the amount of material we're not allowed to do and the amount of brain, uh, brand names that we're not allowed to say and that we'll get stuff back from S&P like that day, like crossing off our set. So, yeah, but people thought I said the word aborted. So I heard from pro-lifers. Pro-lifer, one particularly nasty one immediately. And then I was defending myself. And I was like, but that's not what I said. Um but then I was like, well, why am I defending myself? Yeah. Like, I'm not pro-life anyway. And if you're pro-life, shouldn't you be pro-hummer? And then <laughs> that didn't make any sense to me at all. So but he came back, like, really vicious. And then I learned that you could take people off of Twitter. And, uh, oh, and then that movie Obvious Child was coming out. And so they had a thing that was going on. Oh, I think I wasn't. Hmm. 
we'll figure it out afterwards. But uh, <laughs> so they had a thing going on with NBC, and then and and then the movie and Planned Parenthood was saying they didn't want to talk about abortion, and NBC was like, no, well, I don't know. It made the papers, and suddenly at the bottom of each article it said, and NBC censored this comedian, and I was like, no, they didn't. And then I was like, ooh, that's a good movie to be associated with. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do oh. I do now? Oh, my goodness. Well, and, and can I say, you speak to my cold black stone of a heart because I, I kind of have it in for children myself. And I think it's so brave of you to take it on because it's really one of the last sacred things in this culture. It's like you don't touch the kid. The kid is everything. Well, right. a, lot of, a lot of things, that's what makes comedy so good is yeah. they say things that other people – are thinking. Yeah. And Winslow is always being told, don't touch the kid. That's kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> what I'd like to do now is hear just a little bit more of what you had to say. I want kids. I do. I, I want kids. When I have kids, I'm going to speak to them in a foreign accent and tell them I came to this country to make a better life for them. Because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, what am I going to do? Tell them I came from a world of privilege and I whittled it down to this. <laughs> Families are very special. They are. They're very special. I always watch the celebrities at the Oscar Awards. I always watch them get up. And in their speech, they always thank their moms and their dads. And it always touches me. It makes me think about what it is I'd say to my family. If I ever got a big award like that, I think I'd just be like, and to my family, I'd like to say, is this enough? Is this enough? Are you happy now? Are you happy? Maybe we could let law school go. And thanks to the Academy. Thank you guys so much. Bethsaida Eagle! Yes, uh, speaking of things that people think and, <laughs> and, and probably don't say, I, I absolutely love that. I loved your entire set. Oh, thanks. Oh, I really did. Um, but... I think always when I hear a comic say something like that, I think, God, what if their mom's watching? Oh, my parents. I, I don't know what's wrong with my parents, but uh, they always, no matter what I said about them, they're, they're always just thrilled. Like they feel, I was like, did you hear the words I was saying? Like I was saying you neglected me and they're like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> like they just feel proud to be represented in the show. Oh, that's fabulous. So, yeah, that fabulous. they're very proud of their neglect. My mother will tell you the story of uh, how she quit smoking the day I was born. So well, now, I, now I was curious, because I remember the first time I heard that piece, I thought, what what would Dana Eagle do if somebody actually got up at the Oscars and did that? Would you be that's mad right, or thrilled? That's right, because you and I did a benefit together. Yes, we did, in a bowling alley. Uh, we did. <laughs> a nice bowling alley. Oh, of course. But a bowling alley. <laughs> And uh, no, I do. And actually, my mom told me that when she watches the Oscars and the Emmys every year, that she holds her breath and she's like, what if somebody does it? But I think now I'm resigned that I don't think I'm going to necessarily get the chance to use it. So if someone else does, that's fine. And also, you always kind of feel like once things are down on tape, it's like, it was mine first. It's on tape. That's right. So, yeah. Well, let's hear what Roseanne had to say about your set. Roseanne, did Dana Eagle soar? She did soar. You did soar. Oh, thanks. You know, we wanted to hear more about you. We said last time, you know, right. we want to hear more about your it's coming. Know, growing up and stuff like that. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to hear that. I enjoyed your set a lot. I think you're a great writer. Um, uh, I think you're a modern woman with a modern point of view. You're, you kind of remind me of my uh, daughters. Uh, but I like you anyway. And <laughs> I do. And... You know, I think I think uh, your, your your stuff is very, really smart, and you had a lot of confidence up there, and you you delivered the mail. 
Uh, that must have felt pretty good. Yeah, that felt really good until they didn't choose me. But uh, then, it, well, but other than uh, that, it felt I really good. I have to point out that Roseanne used to have a show here at KPFK a couple <gasps> years ago before Jeez. she evolved into a judge on that show. So this obviously is a stepping stone. Are you glad you're here? Yes, I am. I'm very glad. You guys are really impressive. I can't, it's very hard because you guys leave space for me to talk, and I'm used to being with either comedians or my family where you have to like really fight for it and talk over and you guys have like what is she saying little i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. She's, she's talking see I, I don't even know what roseanne was talking about though because when you introduce yourself as the lazy-eyed bipolar jew what more does she need to know oh they had said on the earlier episode that they wanted to hear more about what it was like growing up as oh. a gay bipolar jew with a lazy eye but the thing is, you don't get all of that information when no. you're born. I just got it all a piece at the time. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is going to turn into something good. And yeah, no, it's not. Well, the thing that made me the happiest about everything I saw in Last Comic Standing is when I looked you up and I found out you were local here in Los Angeles. And that brings me to people can actually go see your yes. show here in town. Yes. And you perform a lot. Where I are do. you going to be in the next couple of weeks or so no, or longer? I'm going for the gold. I'm going to promote the gay shows. Wednesday, August 20th, Flappers Comedy Club doing Fruit Cocktail. Uh, Tuesday, uh, August 26th, The Laugh Factory Hollywood. And Wednesday, August 22nd, 27th, The Laugh Factory Long Beach. And if people didn't write that down, because we don't want them to write it down and drive, where can they find out more? DanaEagle.com. Okay, DanaEagle.com. D-A-N-A. D-A-N-A. Yeah, E-A-G. Eagle like the bird. Like the bird. Ah, ah. Yeah, dot and then com. .com. Yep. Thank you so much, Dana, thank for being guys. with us. This has been just wonderful, and I will see you definitely one of those ah, shows. thank you. I'm glad we got eagle calls, too. That's amazing. Yeah, fruit <laughs> well, cocktail. unfortunately, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take Tim and Politico's by the hand, and exit to the far, far left of the transforward motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, coordinating producer Steve Pride, Assistant Director John Dyer V, and our Rainbow Minute producers Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And if you have comments or story suggestions, tweet us or follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, or contact us directly via email at IMRU Radio at IMRU Radio.org. IMRU Radio is simulcast and available on demand at kpfk.org. It is also posted on our Facebook page every Tuesday by noon. We close with a song from one of the biggest... What's one of the biggest songs from 1974, our birth year, from a straight lady who has a gay son and, God knows, a lot of gay bands. It needs no further introduction. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good Pictures of the smile 
Could we? 